And I'm telling you, if you have never been to it, you need to come and experience just a very emotional and very spiritual time of just meeting with God and giving him thanks for the death of Jesus Christ. So that's Good Friday. I hope you're here. There's, the, the service times are exactly the same on Sunday morning, 9.30 and quarter after 11. The fact that two people from completely different backgrounds, completely different circumstances, completely different families, can come together and get married and then stay together is a miracle. It's a true miracle. It's a, mir- it's a miracle of love. The wonder is not that there's so much divorce. The wonder is that there isn't more. The, pro- the question is, why do we struggle in our relationships? Why, why do we have a hard time? Well, I'll tell you that really it's the difference between an adult and a child. I want you to think of a child for a moment. And as you're thinking about these, and I'm going to explain it to you in a moment, as you're thinking about these childish behaviors, think of how often we as adults mimic children. A child will scream and yell until he gets his way. Because you never do that, right? A child will fight all of his friends if his toys are touched. Right? You're my best friend. I love you. We're hugging and kissing, but don't touch my toys. Get off, get off of my side of the toy box. If a child is hungry or tired, he'll cry and yell and fall on the floor. And maybe even throw the food at you. You've seen it. You've experienced it. A child wants something from the store and doesn't get it. What does he say? I hate you. I don't love you. I love mommy, but I hate you. Or vice versa. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. You do it my way or I'm not playing. And folks, you know it takes years and years before we can actually reason with the child. Sadly, what I've just described to you often describes what we are like as adults. And I want the Spirit of God to speak to you now. I want, I want your, I'm asking that you open your heart. Because I can tell you this, pretty much guarantee this. Everybody sitting here today is thinking, well, that does not describe me. That describes my spouse or my kids or the people I work with or go to school with. But it doesn't describe me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of yourself. I want you to think of, of yourself and how you fall short when it comes to love and acting like an adult. 50% of marriages, they say, end in divorce. And almost always it's because of selfishness and immaturity. In November 2016, Robert Verbruggen wrote an article called The Immature Generation. He says there's an alarming trend towards a rejection of any kind of responsibility. Sadly, this extends to love and marriage and to all relationships, and I might add, including our walk with God. We don't want to take responsibility for it. We want God to serve us. We want God to make us happy. We want God to wave his magic wand over us. We want 
others to take care of us. We want others to make us happy, but we're not prepared and we're not willing to do whatever we need to do in order to have the kind of relationships that God wants. Now, coincidentally, in that same month of that same year, November 2016, a Time magazine reported an alarming rise in teenage depression and substance abuse. And my instant thought was, is this... Is this a coincidence? Is there a correlation here? I'm not a sociologist, and I'm not going to get into that right now. But I will say this. I'm guessing that these things are very closely related. What does the Bible say about, about all of this? And what is the solution? What does it mean to be a Christian adult? What does it mean to be mature? In our faith. Well, you know, we're studying in 1 John, and 1 John, here's what John says. And if you do as I say in this letter, then you too will be full of joy. You won't need to take medication. You won't need to medicate yourself with drugs or alcohol. You won't need to to try to find ways to make yourself happy because you will be happy, you will be joyful. If you live the way John tells you to live. And of course, what he's telling us in 1 John is that we need to learn what it means to truly love one another. We need to learn what it means to become mature and to act like adults, especially in our relationship to one another. So this is the question I want to answer today. How do we grow up? How do we mature? How do we move past our immaturity, our selfishness? How do we become more loving and more godly? Before I I answer that question, uh, I think what we need to do is we need to first acknowledge the universal problem that every one of us faces. Everybody in this room, including myself, including Gloria, my wife, who's perfect in every way, If you were to take all of Jesus' life, his teaching, his miracles, you could boil it all down to three words. And these are the words, love each other. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in John 13. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. The evidence that you are converted, the evidence that you belong to Jesus, is the love that you express and show to others. Now, why does Jesus have to give us this command? Why does Jesus have to give a command to love one another? And you know the answer. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's because none of us finds it easy or natural to love the people in our life all the time. In fact, our default setting is selfishness at best and hatred at worst. And you know, you know this. You have, you have had those sensations in your own heart. You know what it is to be jealous, to be self-centered, to be envious. You know what it is to want to be first. You know what it is to want to put others down so you can elevate yourself. You know what it is. And so Jesus says 
Here's the commandment. This is what it means practically to be a Christian. Most of us, when we think of becoming a Christian, we think, well, I've said the sinner's prayer. I've asked Jesus to forgive me my sins. I thanked him for dying on the cross for my sins. I've asked him to come into my life. But the problem is, is that we haven't taken this to the next level or taken it to the next step, which is to love one another. This is the evidence that you're truly born again. And we don't often like to talk about that because, quite frankly, it makes us uncomfortable. And I just want the mystical feeling when I come to church, sing the songs and worship. and like to get a tear in my eye once in a while. It makes me feel good. Go through all the things that you're supposed to do when you go to church. But Jesus would say this to you. He would say, all of this is meaningless if you don't love all the people in your life. You say, but Pastor Ron, what about the ones who don't love me? What about the ones who are hard to love? What about the ones who are nasty and mean to me? And Jesus would say, forget about that. No, he would say, yeah, they're the ones that you need to especially love. They're the ones that you need to forgive and forgive and forgive. So now I'm talking about you today. I'm not talking about your spouse or any. I'm talking about you. And you need to ask yourself today, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to learn here today? Here's what Paul says to the Ephesian Christians. He says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires. Can we change that slide? All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Did you hear that? All of us. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Look at this. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Did you get that? Very quiet in here. I'm speaking to you today. What in your life needs the redemption generating power of the Holy Spirit. Because I can tell you that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, the first thing that you need to do is you need to learn to grow and mature by first of all recognizing who you are. Now look at, my intention is not to invite you to church this morning and then once I got you here to insult all of you. That's, <laughs> I don't want to do that. A smart pastor doesn't, doesn't do that especially if he wants to get good offerings. I don't want to insult you. But folks, like a doctor who calls his patient in and says, do you want, do you want a good report or do you want the truth? Did you hear that? When you go to the doctor, do you want him to give you a good report no matter what? Well, it would be nice to get one, but what you really want is the truth. Because if you don't want the truth, you may as well just stay home and tell yourself nice things. That lump in my arm, that's nothing. That, arm, that lump in my gut, whatever, that's nothing. And some people live like that. They don't want to know the truth. We as Christians need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to be godly. And the first thing we need to do is we need to know the truth about ourselves. And so Paul says, by our very nature, we're subject to God's wrath. His anger. All of us 
just like everyone else. Now, here's what, here's what Satan loves to do. He loves to blind us and make us think that we are actually quite, quite good people. I mean, compared to my husband, compared to my children, I'm a pretty good person. In fact, I'm probably better than average. In fact, I'm probably better than most people. And Satan whispers this away in our ear, and we really start getting to feel real good about ourselves. And then along comes Paul, and he just shatters our delusion. He says, hey, by nature, we're subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So what's the answer? Well, the answer, of course, is surrender to Jesus Christ. Obedience. And I'm going to tell you, that message is not popular today because most people, when they go to church nowadays, they want to hear something that'll just, you know, perk them up a little bit. Put a smile on there. Pastor, can't you tell more jokes? Look, if you want to go to a comedy club, this is not it. This is a place where you're coming under the doctor's knife, the surgeon's knife, and that surgeon is the good physician, the great physician, Jesus Christ. He's going to lay bare the truth of what's actually in your life. Now, I know some of you are doing really well in this regard, but the fact is is that we've all got room for improvement, and we all need to be reminded of what it means to love. So loving others requires real maturity and a commitment to being responsible. Responsible before God, responsible before the people we are called to care for. If you're a father or a mother, Responsible to obey your parents if you're a child. But first we have to see how prone we are to doing the opposite. All of us. And I would say, I'm the worst offender. Someone said that's for sure. The Apostle Paul, that's what he was saying about himself. He said, I'm, I'm the worst offender. Hey, are you, uh, are you ever an offender? Do you ever do anything or say anything that it goes contrary to the will of God, the, the command of Christ to love one another? You know, I do a lot of marriage counseling. And by the way, I think everybody should go for counseling at some point. Everybody needs counseling. Everybody. You just sometimes need an outsider's view, an outsider's point of view. Sometimes, I, rather than calling it counseling, I just call it coaching. Too often what happens is that people don't come to me until they're in trouble, until they've got a massive fight going on. And whenever they get there, they'll usually say, it's not my fault. But two adults, emphasis on adults, two adults sitting with me in my office or over coffee, saying, it's not my fault. Both of them are saying it's not my fault. So it's not your fault, and it's not your fault. What's going on here? If it's not your fault, and not your fault, whose fault is it? Think about that. Or else she'll say, well, I behave badly because of him. <laughs> or I'll be, I behave badly because of her. If she wasn't such a mm, neg... If he wasn't so irresponsible, oh, there's that word responsible again. But when a couple comes to me and says, Pastor Allen, we want to get better. We want to, we, we want to take personal responsibility for our behavior. Can you help us identify 
what needs to change. Or, Pastor, I could have done better. And she says, no, no, I could have done better. Well, then there's hope. Then we, then we can go to the next level and we can bring healing to that relationship. But it takes some real maturity. But too often we act like children. We have our temper tantrum. We scream. We throw things. We take our ball. We're going home. I'm not talking to you. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. I'm going to go sleep on the couch. I'm going for a drive. Get get out of your presence. I don't want to be around you. You make me mad. Hey, you know, in AA, I've never been. But I know lots of people have. And it's done wonders. In AA, they'll tell you that recognizing your problem is the beginning of your healing and your wholeness. Folks, I'm going to tell you, that is a biblical idea. And by the way, AA was established, started by two ministers, two two men who understood the biblical instruction for transformation. We've got to recognize what we're prone to do. We're prone to be self-centered. I wonder if you could say that with me. I'm prone to self-centeredness. Not everybody said that. Try it one more time. I'm prone. Hello, my name is Alan, and I'm a recovering nasty person. Let's all say, let's all say that, but stick your own name in there. My name is Alan, and I'm a recovering nasty person. Yeah, there it is. Some of you are squirming. You don't like saying that about yourself. Especially because the world tells you that you are fantastic. You're amazing. You're at the center of the universe. There's nobody as good as you. You deserve a break today. That's what the world tells you. Remember two weeks ago we said that... Friendship with the world is enmity against God. The world will tell you that you're the center of the universe, but this is a lie from the pit of hell. You are not the center of the universe. Jesus is. And to be a Christian means that we now come and we submit to him and do things his way, not our way. Does that not go against what the world says? The world says you've got to take care of yourself. I've got to have me time. It's, it's me, 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 me. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's not you. Hey, listen, if you and I, as husbands and wives and friends and brothers and sisters, if you and I could learn what it means to live the way Jesus has called us to live, putting others first all the time, I'm telling you, it would be a, there'd be a revival in, the, in this land. And I'm going to tell you something else. You, you, you start to have the best marriage ever. And I think when it comes to marriage counseling, it has to begin with this discussion. Are you self-centered or not? Are you loving others or loving yourself? Are you putting yourself first or are you putting others first? Because that's always what it is at the, at the core. So, if, folks, look, it's time for you to get off your high horse. And start identifying with the rest of us sinful mortals. Admit that you're as difficult and and as annoying as everybody else. 
I was actually, I had in my notes here for, to get everybody to say that. I'm a difficult and annoying person, but I think I beat you up enough already. <laughs> that is who we are. And you need to know that. You need to be aware of that. Now, here's the good news. We are in the process of being sanctified. There's a big 16-cylinder theological term. It simply means that God is transforming us and making us into holy people. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm so thrilled about that. Thank you, Jesus. And Gloria is so glad about that, too. Thank God that he's, God's making Alan more holy. Did she talk to you, Ray? <laughs> You and I are being sanctified. You and I are being transformed. Now, I just love the fact, because there's always a debate. Once we become Christians, are we still sinners saved by grace? I hear that all the time. I've been hearing it for uh, 30 years. The answer is yes and uh, yes. You, You are a sinner, but you are being sanctified. You're being transformed. And it's when you die and leave this earth and enter, enter into the presence of, of our holy God that you will be completely and fully saved. It's a process. You are saved when you become a Christian. You're saved now, but you're also saved for eternity. And the fact of the matter is, is that while you're on this earth, there's a sanctifying work being done by the Holy Spirit, making you more and more holy. That is, if you are submitting to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you that question today. Are you coming before God every day and allowing the Holy Spirit to change you? Are you saying, God, I need your help? Hebrews tells us that because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and because we put our faith in him, it means that we can go to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy and help in our hour of need. And that describes all of us. All of us need God's grace and mercy and help. Because by nature, we are sinful people. Selfish. Well, now that you know what the problem is, what can we do about it? I spent a lot of time talking about our problem. What can we do about it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because the answer is simple. We need God's help. But what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, the first step, like I said, is you've got to recognize your problem. My name is Alan. I'm a recovering nasty person. Thank God I've been saved and I belong to Jesus now. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm being perfected by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. The second step is you need to recognize God's great love. And in so doing, put your trust in him. That's, that's what John says here in 1 John 4, 16. Let's t- change that slide. We know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. Did you get that? So your trust is not in yourself or your own ability to live this Christian life. Anybody who thinks for one minute that you can be a Christian in your own steam, in your own energy, your own wisdom and strength and ability, you are so, so deluded. You can't live this Christian life in your own strength. You need to put your trust in God and his love and not in yourself. I see this all the time. In fact, I know, I know so many people who would declare themselves Christian, and yet they, they don't really have a clue what that means. 
And so I'm going to tell you today that in order for you to be a Christian, it means that you've put your trust now in God and you don't put your trust in yourself anymore. Did you get that? I remember my friend in England, a pastor, a pastor friend of mine, 20 years older than me, really a, a mentor to me. And he said, Alan, uh, an old pastor once said to me, he's, he told me this about 20 years ago. He says, Alan, an old pastor friend of mine told me this, don't ever put any trust or faith in your flesh. It was in your own nature. Don't trust yourself, he said. Because if you trust yourself, you're going to do the wrong thing every time. Good, good advice. And John is saying the same thing. We know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. Did you get that? And that's kind of a, it sounds almost like a, almost like a tongue twister. Let's stop and let's just take a look at what this means. God is love. And all who live in love actually are living in God. And God lives in them. The evidence, folks, that God lives in you is that you're a loving person. You're a forgiving person. You're a caring person. You're a kind person. You're not a sarcastic person. You're a helping person. You're a serving person. You getting this? This is what love is. This is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and that you trust him. Now, why should I become a Christian? Why should I put my trust in God and in his love? Because he alone can teach me how to be like Jesus. I can't do it on my own. I'm just not smart enough. I'm just not good enough. I'm just not bright enough. I need the help of God. But anybody say amen to that? Here's what uh, Paul says to the Ephesians. It's really quite shocking. Ephesians 2.1. It tells us, you used to live in sin. Before you became a Christian, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Hey, did you know that if you're not obeying God, you're obeying the devil? Is that a shock to you? If you're not obeying God, you are obeying the devil. You are following the way of Satan. That's a shock. Paul says that the devil is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Look at folks, when you refuse to love all the people in your life, you are submitting to the will of Satan himself. That's what the Bible says. These are hard words, aren't they? It's hard to swallow this, isn't it? Because the reality is so stark. You're either submitting to God or you're submitting to the dark powers in the unseen world. God, help us. Help us to obey you and to do what you're calling us to do. And what is Jesus saying we need to do? Love one another. Love your husband. Love your wife. Love your kids. Love your boss. Our first inclination, folks, is always selfishness. It's always nastiness. It's hashtag me first. That's our first inclination. So we turn to God and we ask him to forgive us. We put our trust in him. 
And sadly, this is where it stops for the majority of people. They identify as Christian, but that's as far as it goes. They say they become Christians, but nothing really changes. Or what changes is that now they they love to be in church. They love the mystical and the supernatural, and they want to experience the... They want to swing from some chandeliers if it's possible, or do something that's supernatural. That's great. But if you don't have love, check out what Paul says to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. If you don't have love, you're just a clanging cymbal, a gong. You're a gong show. I don't care how supernatural and how much you speak in tongues. and how, If you even have the gift of prophecy and of healing people. If you don't have love, you got nothing, baby. You got nothing. And it's meaningless. And so I'm going to tell you, we need to get back to the very core of our faith. And the, the core of our faith is a command to love each other no matter what. To forgive each other no matter what. This may sound impossible. In fact, it is. Unless you have the Holy Spirit working in you, enabling you to live the life of love. That's the second step. First step, recognize that you're you got a problem, you're a sinner. Secondly, you need to recognize that you need to put your trust in God and not in yourself. And then the third thing you need to do is this. Change that slide, please. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Did you, would you read that with me? And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So remember we asked, how do we mature? How do we grow up? How do we stop acting like children? I'm going to tell you what you need to do. It's not by getting more disciplined and making lists for yourself and tying strings around your fingers to remind you, don't blow up at the children, don't blow up at the children. Here's what you need to do. You need to live in God. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't have a daily walk with God where you're praying and reading your Bible and connecting with God every day, I'm going to tell you, you'll never be able to master the life of love. You cannot afford to go a day without praying. You cannot afford to go a day without reading your Bible. Jesus calls it abiding in him. He tells a story in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17, about the, about the vine and the branches. You, you know that story. And Jesus says that, he, well, I'll read it to you. I'm the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. Did you get that? There's a grapevine, but there's also a gardener. And you're not going to like what the gardener does. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. Hey, that pruning that's going on in your life. God, how many know that God allows difficulty and struggle in our lives? God allows certain people in our lives. We call them grace growers. Or as Jesus calls them, it's called pruning. It's to make you better. To make you more godly, more Christ-like. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you, Jesus says. So he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit 
if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Did you get that? How many of us are trying to live this Christian life? And it's been months since we last prayed a prayer. Or if we do pray, it's just that at supper time, Lord Jesus, bless us. I got to eat now. Amen. Rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for the grub. That's about the extent of your prayer. You haven't read your, you're using your Bible to prop up your table. It's a little bit rocky. You don't read your Bible. And then you wonder why you're struggling as a Christian and basically struggling in all your relationships. Hey, listen, the Christian life is all about learning how to have great relationships with God and with one another. But in order for that to happen, you're going to have to learn what it means to abide in Christ. Yes, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you get that? You can't live this Christian life on your own. You need to be firmly, firmly connected to that vine. And anyone who does remain in me, who does not remain in me, is thrown away like a useless branch and it withers. Well, does not describe Christianity in North America. It's just withering and dying. Such branches, Jesus says, are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Did you get that? When you start living this life of love and start doing things God's way, then suddenly you start having power in your prayer. You start to see your prayers answered and lives are changed. Wow. This is powerful stuff. And by the way, this is what it really means to be a Pentecostal. You are connected to Jesus Christ and you are allowing the Holy Spirit who is in Christ to flow through you who are connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. Wow. Hey, you didn't come to church here to hear just a a pep talk. You came here to know the truth. You want to know, how can I know the power of God at work in my life so that my prayers are answered? And Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Wow. And then he ends that passage with these words. This is my commandment. Love each other. (laughs) Are we getting it yet? This is what it means to be a Christian. It means you're loving absolutely all the people in your life. Hey, you know what? I'm going to just want to close with this. Some of you know me fairly well after all these years. And uh, you know that I'm, 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 I'm an introvert. Um, I tend to be shy. Uh, some people, they love to be around people because that charges their batteries and they just, they could be with people all day long. For me, it depletes my batteries. I'm worn out. I got to go hide and be alone, pray. And I was going to say detox, but that sounds harsh. I just, I got to just wind down. I don't know why it is. Why would God call an introvert into the ministry where my work is to deal with people, to love them, be with them, help them, care for them? And I'm going to tell you, there's times when, quite frankly, I feel, I feel uh, tempted to 
shut my phone off. Tempted to get somebody else to take care of those needs. I see, you know, call display. I see who's calling and there's nobody here. There's times when I just don't feel like talking. I just, just want to take care of me. I want to have some me time. And I tell you, that is just not a biblical notion at all. Could you imagine if Jesus said, oh, I need some me time. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Or Jesus put up the sign, closed. <laughs> can't help you now. You, you didn't get here on time. It's one minute after five. I learned early in my life the importance of living for others and not for myself. I learned how to overcome my introversion. Not just so that I'd be a good pastor, but because Jesus Christ calls me to live like this, to put others first. It was back a number of years ago, my phone rang at 5 o'clock in the morning. And man, if I, if I could tell you how many people say to me, you should shut your phone off at night. You shouldn't pay any attention to your phone. And I always say, I can't. I need to be available for the people that God has called me to shepherd. It was early, early in the morning. I think around 5 o'clock, maybe even earlier. And it was Trish. And she said, you've got to come to the hospital right away. Ted has gone to be with the Lord. And I immediately got dressed, got in my car, and ran over to the, the building right there beside HSC. This may sound a little strange, but, but bear with me here. I, I went into that room to be with Trish. And I realized at that moment that I was being given by God the joy and the privilege of being with Trish in her moment of, of grief. I had the privilege of being able to minister the love of Christ and to pray. And it created a bond between us. She's my sister. I'm her brother. And we'll always have that bond. And I've got that bond with many of you here today. And it comes from putting others first. From saying, by being willing to say, it's not about me. It's not about me. God is calling you and I today to love the way that he loves. Would you stand with me, please? God, you're calling us to love the way Jesus loved us. You're calling us to love and to grow in our love. God, forgive us for being so childish. Forgive us for, for not growing up. Forgive us, God, for being self-centered. God, we know that we're going to grow as long as we stay connected to you, as long as as branches, we are firmly connected to the vine. God, we want to bear 
fruit, the fruit of love. And you tell us, Lord, it's for your glory and for your honor. So help us, we pray. Help us, we pray, to to come back to you and walk with you and love you. Praying and reading our Bible every day and allowing your spirit to work in us and transform us. So, God, we commit ourselves to you now thanking you that you're working in us by your spirit. So help us, we pray, to abide in Christ. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the...